0: So when I was thinking over what to talk about today, your Reverend Lawrence, Linda, sorry, had a great idea, a good twist. She said, we're talking about covenant, and we're going to talk about what we owe our children and what we promise to ourselves as a group. But what about the promises we make to ourselves? And I thought it was brilliant because one of my favorite parts um, of the Bible uh, is that statement we all know about the greatest commandment has two parts, it's not just one it's, but I think it has three um, is to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself Right and, um, and I think that's really important, I think the risk of sounding Trinitarian there are three legs that hold up our, an important structure to our lives. Um, the first is, and I really like the way the Unitarian Universalist website actually retranslates or translates that Greek commandment. Um, when it talks about covenant, it says, um, oh, where did I put that? What calls human beings into a deeper relationship with the holy, one another, and all beings. And I like that translation better, you know, what what relationship do we have with something bigger, something wondrous, something that brings out reverence in us? What relationship do we have with all beings, not just all other people, but all sentient beings? But of course it forgets that third part, as we always do. What relationship are we called to have with ourselves? Um, And I think those three legs structure a a way to thrive in life. It's really important to invite wonder into our lives. Clearly how we interact with other people influences whether we're depressed, whether we're connected. But how we treat ourselves determines whether we're depressed or connected as well. It's really important. And... um, When I talked about this with Richard, he gave me a new twist. I said, we're going to talk about promises we make to ourselves. And he said, and why is it we always break them? Who here has ever kept a New Year's resolution the whole year? Yeah. The two of you should be commended. That's pretty rare, isn't it? Yeah. My father was a rabid smoker. From when he was 13 until his early 50s, he just couldn't stop. He couldn't stop. He would promise to stop, and my mother would smell it on his clothing, and his secretaries would tell on him. And one night, I remember being about 6, and my sister was about 12, and we snuck out, and it wasn't very often we'd find him sound asleep in the chair in the living room. I think my mother had just gotten disgusted and couldn't wake him up and left him there. But he had a cigarette ash this long, dangling from his cigarette. And we were really worried that if we jostled him to wake him up, he'd set himself on fire. We didn't understand it was just an ash. But it was really unusual and really strange, and he just was so addicted. But in 1978, he gave up smoking for a year for Lent not a New Year's resolution, but for Lent. My father was an atheist. He loved singing in the choir. His grandfather had been a priest in the Church of England. You know, he, but he didn't like the way Christianity promised this bogus afterlife. Um, I have, you know, I think there's some other things to faith. But anyway, he didn't like that. And um, so it's kind of helpful he didn't remember that Lent only lasts 40 days. So he did it for a whole year. And he did it. And then a year later, he had withdrawal symptoms again and did it again. And at the end of his life, when he could have started again, and my mother said, do you want to smoke? Nope, no interest. Mm -hmm. He'd finally, you know, he'd given it up. But I think it's telling that he gave it up for Lent, for something we sort of hold as sacred or scary or um, I think when we make covenants with ourselves, It can't just be a New Year's resolution. How many people here feel like the New Year is kind of arbitrary? Why do we pick that day? Why do we make us, you know, yes, the years go round, we count them, but they don't really hold significant subjective meaning. But if you give it up for something a little bit bigger than yourself, if you've invited in the holy and something reverential, and maybe you're just scared of it because you went to Sunday school, you might hold that covenant. You might keep it up. I think today it's interesting we're talking about covenant. We're not talking about contracts. We're really not just talking about promises. We're talking about covenant, and covenant, the word, historically, has picked up some religious meanings. First of all, um, you know, whatever you think of the Hebrew scriptures and whether you want to plaster the Ten Commandments on your wall and whether you've memorized them all, we know they exist and they influence us. And it probably influenced us to some degree that the word covenant or barit in Hebrew is mentioned 270 times. That's a huge number in the, the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and we've, we've heard about those covenants. What's interesting is often they'll have a physical sign connected with them. Thank you for speaking about signs and omens earlier. Um, one of the most beautiful ones, of course, is between God and Noah – When God promises after the flood, I will not destroy the world again with flood, um, the sign is the rainbow. Every time we look at the rainbow, it's supposed to be a reminder of that. And um, Abraham and Abraham's descendants make a pact with God. And that sign only applies to males, thankfully, and they all have to be snipped. Circumcision is the sign of the connection. Um, And it's kind of interesting that there's always a little tangible reminder When we make a covenant of marriage to another person, usually there's a tangible sign. I have a friend who got a horse. But traditionally, we've put a ring on it, right? (laughs) So there's that connection between making that covenant and doing something physical. There's another reason, I think, that historically it's been connected to churches and to churches that come out of the tradition that form the Unitarians and the congregational Church that became um, the United Church of Christ, which I'm part of. We have a common ancestor, right? And it has to do, the word covenant became important because of the Reformation in England, which we remember is a chaotic, bloody mess. Um, King Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, so of course he just wants to kick out the Pope. He doesn't really want to change the church. He doesn't want to change the hierarchy too much or worship too much. Just kick out the Pope. But his first heir, Edward, was really intrigued by the Reformation going on in Europe. He wanted to purify things a little more. He was quite Protestant. But after him came Mary, who wanted to be Catholic again and killed a number of people in this. So finally, when Elizabeth became queen and provided stability for a number of years, she said, basta. Finally, we are going to stick to one ritual. I don't care what you believe. But if you act this way and you support the state religion, we'll be at peace. But of course, our ancestors said, nah, <laughs> we don't, we, we kind of are intrigued by that purification process going on. We, we really don't like the hierarchy of um, bishops and we, you know, we really want something called the free church. And they became Puritans and they became separatists and they didn't abide by the state church. So they had another way of showing they were part of a faith. It wasn't enough just to be born in an area and go to the local church. That was not how they did it. They chose this. It wasn't enough just to make a profession of faith because that's invisible. How can you see someone's faith? So they signed covenants. And today you are living out that tradition. You have a covenant that you can choose to sign or not saying this is what we commit to, to being part of this community. That is part of the tradition. And the word covenant has stayed important in the United Church of Christ, in the Unitarian Universalist Baptists use it. Anyone out of the free church tradition who have joined a church and made this pledge, um, it's a really important word. So, so we talk about covenant. Um, and that's, I think, really important that we are doing this today. Um, I think it's also important to remember that we make covenants with not only other people, not only inviting in something holy. I think when people get married and they say there's the third person in our marriage, it sounds kind of too um, triangle to me, is God, I think what they're saying is we're inviting in wonder and awe, and we look at that person with some reverence. What about doing that for ourselves? what about remembering that we are worthy of reverence and awe when we make a commitment to ourselves, when it's more than just um, something that we write down or claim we're going to do as a New Year's resolution around a coffee table. What about seeing ourselves with that wonder, with that love? And I go back to the importance of owning ourselves and loving ourselves because we have a tradition uh, from Augustine to Luther, in the Western tradition of saying that there's the sin of pride. Sin of pride. It's one of those, um, of the seven deadly sins. If you have too much self, it gets between you and the holy and other people. But Kierkegaard said there's also the sin and despair of being yourself. Modern feminists say there's the sin of diffusion, of too little self of not having enough self, so that you're constantly giving, you don't know where you stop, you're constantly manipulating, you don't have anything left to give, and all you can do is blame. You can't ever stop and say, ah, this is me, and I can change one person, and that's me. In my own life experience, I have had experiences of giving, or loving, or putting out, or helping, and then finally hitting bottom, and with something like anger, picking myself up and going, this is me, and this is enough, and I'm not going to put myself in harm's way, or hurt my dignity, or put up with anything like that anymore. And that's a good moment. That's a moment of saying, I am this person, and I can claim for myself. How I can change myself, because of course, that's the only way I can change the world. Brene Brown, who um, looks at a lot of um, looks at shame in a really good way. I recommend looking at her things on YouTube, talks about um, how boundaries and having a strong sense of self can make us more compassionate. She says one of the greatest and least discussed barriers to compassion, and practice of compassion is the fear of setting boundaries and holding people accountable. I know it sounds strange, but I believe that understanding the connection between boundaries, accountability, acceptance, and compassion has made me a kinder person. During the interviews I did as part of my research, it blew my mind when I realized that many of the truly committed compassion practitioners were also the most boundary-conscious people in her study. Compassionate people are boundary people, and I was stunned, she writes. Here's what I learned. The heart of compassion is really acceptance. The better we are at accepting ourselves and others, the more compassionate we become. Well, it's difficult to accept people when they are hurting us or taking advantage of us or walking all over us. This research has taught me that if we want to practice compassion, we have to start by setting boundaries and holding people accountable for their behavior. We live in a blame culture. We want to know whose fault it is and how they're going to pay. We do a lot of screaming and finger pointing, but we rarely hold people accountable. How could we? We're so exhausted from ranting and raving that we don't have the energy to develop meaningful consequences and enforcing them. Oh, does that sound like my parenting a little bit? (laughs) Wouldn't it be better if we could be kinder but firmer? How would our lives be different if there were less anger and more accountability? What would our work and home lives look like if we blamed less but had more respect for boundaries? So if you want to be kind, compassionate, and truly accepting of the people with whom you work, then you need to get rid of the sources of anger and resentments in your relationships. You need to set boundaries and hold people accountable when they cross them. And she talks about a trap that women often fall into, but you know all people can do, of wanting to be so helpful and being so tired that you just can't say no. Because if you say no to helping someone as a woman, you're going to look evil, you know? Um, you're not going to look like a truly good person, a truly righteous woman, but how can you love people when you resent them? Yeah. So I think it's really important to honor that third st- part of the stool, the third leg that holds us up. And um, I wonder, you know, how often do we really take time to form a covenant with ourselves, to say, you matter to me. I care about you. How many of us have secretly longed to do something and didn't even know it? I mean, I often find out about my husband's longings because he'll tell someone else. Does that ever? You're sitting at a dinner table, and you go, I didn't know you wanted to do that. Well, you never asked, or you never listen, which <laughs> might be my problem. But even inside ourselves, are there things you suddenly realize, wow, there are things I've given up, like I th- Always expected I'd jump out of an airplane. Now I'm 53, I'm not so sure. You know, isn't it strange when you realize there are things you're crossing off? So how do we notice and listen? I looked at the um, covenant that you're going to sign today, and I thought, well, how about if we applied it not just to ourselves and community, but to ourselves as people, as individuals, to our own selves, Um, Can we treat ourselves with compassion and kindness? Can we learn to listen carefully to ourselves? Can we speak responsibly, kindly, or with the force we sometimes might need? I had tried to understand the Enneagram this week. It's something I've always wanted to understand. I am so confused. You're supposed to have one number out of nine. I now have three that I really feel attached to. But what I learned, this is one of those inventories where you find out the way you, whether you're aggressive or you're a peacemaker. Or, but the helpful thing is it reminded me, each one of us is different. So a covenant is kind of a, a framework. It's kind of like describing Lincoln. He was tall, he had a big nose, he had a wart on his nose, he was skinny, he wore a, a certain hat. But then when kids draw that in class, The wart might be somewhere on either side of his face. His beard might look really different. It might be really long or really short. And relationships are like that. I can't come up to one married couple and tell them what fidelity means to them. But we know that there are certain important things, like fidelity. We just don't know what each relationship should honor, right? Well, what does it mean for ourselves? Some of us are a little bit lazy, according to the Enneagram numbers, and we need to kick ourselves. Some of us are really hard on ourselves, and kicking would not be at all conducive to learning and hearing and listening. Um, So maybe there are some guideposts we can put out that are part of the covenant you're talking about today. Can we speak responsibly? Can we seek to understand ourselves more fully and be willing to make the changes we long for, knowing that the only person we can really change, of course, is ourselves. And I just want to wonder, how would we do this covenant? Do you do a bucket list, as people have often talked about? Do you do what some people do? They write out words of inspiration they want to follow if they're on a diet or aiming for something else. Those can be nice. I mean, I don't want to put a lock on my fridge and a a magnet of a pig, that wouldn't work for me, but maybe for some people on a diet, that would. But you have to figure out um, what works for you. What sign will you give yourself? Will you give yourself a dolphin on a a pin to remind you of the wonder and beauty of all creation and that you're part of that? Will you give yourself a rainbow-colored mood ring? What sign of this covenant will you make with yourself? And it's not something I think we have to wait to the beginning of the year to do. Um, We could start whenever you have time, whenever you can sit down and do it. But I hope that you'll take stock, and I hope you'll speak out loud and look at yourself with a sacred perspective as you make clear your intentions, hopefully good ones, for yourself. Thank you.